Thank you for being here today. We are talking about giving. You know, I love those uh, videos. Uh, by the way, take your Bibles and open up to uh, uh, Luke chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, our wonderful ushers are walking down the aisle. They've got Bibles in their hands. If you're going to borrow one, just wave at them, wink at them, and they'll be happy to get you a Bible in your hands. It is a loaner. Leave it there when you're done, but I uh, encourage you to bring your own when you've got it. And if you don't have one, go to the back desk after the service and get one. They'd be happy to give you one. But I love these videos because... Uh, um, they make us laugh, but you know what's interesting is <laughs> I think some of the laughter is a little nervous laughter because <laughs> maybe it hits a little too close to home. And, and what's interesting, it, it interests me about this area uh, because church-wide, you know, pastors get together, they always like, oh, I got to do, do the giving series. Oh. And they get all uh, upset about it. I get all excited about it because it's just, there is actually great joy in giving. That's God intended for this area of our life to be one of incredible joy and fun. That's why I got my you know, gray vans on. I'm wearing a bow tie today. And I got chocolate. So, you know, I'll t this, uh, York has something to do with what we're talking about today. See if you can figure it out, but I will tell you at the end. But, uh, uh, you know, it's... God intended for us to have this, this joy, this contentment, this, this, this peace and freedom, not shame and guilt from giving, and shame and guilt in our treasure. The key is if we would yield to God's way of life. That, that's, the, that's the point right there. <laughs> so much we want to hang on to our money. We want to hang on to our stuff, and it just, it, 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 it's uh, a challenge for us, and yet when we yield, there is great joy. And so I encourage you to listen this morning as we've been walking through this. You know, there's a wonderful uh, a, a trend happening in business these days. Uh, even, even, it even has a, a biblical flair. It's, it's developing a for-profit company, yet with philanthropic or, or helping the, the community component. Uh, companies like Walmart and Target and Chevron and Disney and Exxon uh, are all doing that. Bank of America is doing that. I know this, uh, this past week... Um, there's a Habitat for Humanity project in Cyprus where they're building homes for low-income homes. And it's right up here off of, you go up Valley View and turn on, on Lincoln, uh, turn right. And it's right there. It's a big project. And, and they're doing that for building some homes. And, and they'd asked uh, me to come and to do a blessing there. And I had an opportunity to do that. But what was really exciting for me is that about 30 different workers were there from Bank of America. They had their, their Bank of America red uh, service t-shirts on. And they were just willing to help because they want to give back to their community. I know some other, lots of other companies do that. And it's great. By the way, if you want to help out with that Habitat for Humanity project. If you're a skilled laborer, or if you can sling a hammer, that means you're a skilled laborer, you can uh, um, go in, in the back table back there. Uh, George and Lynn, wave your hand. They've got a uh, sign-up sheet that's there, and actually George and Lynn were there when we did the dedication or, or the blessing there. Great opportunity for you to just give some time and some energy and help build a home for somebody. So encourage you with that. Go in the back, sign up, and get some papers that you need to have filled out for that. But uh, there are other companies that give back. Uh, Starbucks gives back. Trader Joe's gives back. And, and there's even companies that go a little further. Companies like Tom Shoes. Anybody know about Tom Shoes? Yeah. Uh, uh, with their one-for-one -one business model. Uh, where it all happened is that Blake uh, Mikowski was competing in the Amazing Race, that television uh, drama, uh, uh, real-life drama, uh, this Amazing Race. And he was in Argentina. And he happened to see these really cool shoes these Argentinians were wearing and said, hey, I want to make some. <laughs> and so he started to. But he also noticed when he was there, there was a lot of kids running around without shoes because they just simply didn't have one. And so he was one of the first who created this 
for-profit with a philanthropic component, and the way he does it, it's, it's that one-for-one. One. When you buy a pair of Tom's shoes, a pair of, a pair of Tom's shoes goes to uh, kids who need it in somewhere else in the world, Africa, Argentina, all over the place. He's doing the same with eyewear now. Uh, and his idea was not to simply just get rich for today, but he had uh, tomorrow in mind. Matter of fact, you know where the name Tom comes from? It doesn't come from a person. It comes from the word tomorrow, coming from an organization called Shoes for Tomorrow Project. See, Blake just didn't want the idea of being rich today, but he wanted to, to help people for tomorrow as well, a concept Jesus is dealing with in our text today. But this idea of having a greater goal than just making money even goes further with some companies, like our local company, Flurries. How many of you have been to Flurries? Flurries Restaurant, ever been to that? It's a, it's a dessert place. They have this kind of interesting shave ice, but it's not shave ice. It's like ice cream that they shave off, and it's kind of cool. It comes out like ribbons and stuff like that. And, and they're a great company. They, they serve this wonderful dessert. But let me read you their mission statement, taken right off their webpage. It says this. At Flurries, we have a life-changing passion to affect positive change in the local and global community. That's why all the profits, not just a percentage, it says all the profits from Flurries go to special causes. Each time you enjoy a flurry shaped ice snow, you may also be helping to fund a school in the, uh, uh, for orphans in Africa, providing disaster relief for tsunami survivors in Japan, or feeding homeless in Long Beach. See, their business model is just to gain uh, enough income to cover their, their overhead costs, but then all their profits go to serve ministries, and they're a Christian-based company, and they're right here in Cyprus, right down Valley View and turn on uh, um, corporate, and they're right in there by the loft area, and they even gave us some, uh, some flyers, and they even gave us some 15% coupons on there. And I, I want to say to you, take the 15% coupon, and then, and then don't use it. Matter of fact, matter of fact just round up. I mean, why not? It's for a great cause, right? Why wouldn't you want to just give a little more for that? Anyway, you can do that. It's a great company like that. That, that You see, despite the, the overt self-focus in our world today, there are people, both followers of Jesus and not, who get the fact that we are here for a greater purpose than ourselves. Do you get that? That they're here for a greater purpose than themselves. And those who should get it even more are those who have chosen to make Jesus central in their life and seek to live life his way. Because Jesus is the ultimate example of helping hurting people. Uh, write down these verses somewhere on your outline. Uh, Matthew, and look at them later. Matthew chapter 6, verses 36 to 38. Uh, Jesus is feeling so compelled and moved with compassion, he says, he, because people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He's, he feels compassion on them and he heals them. He heals the hurting. And he feels for them. Uh, Matthew 15, verses 29 to 38. Uh, Jesus seeing people that are hungry. Uh, there were some over 4,000 people there, and he fed them. He did it a couple of times, 5,000 one, 4,000 another. And, and in Matthew 20, verse 29 to 43, he saw someone who wasn't seeing and gave sight to the blind. He cared about people enough to heal them. In Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 40 to 42, he actually touched lepers. He didn't just, ooh, lepers, because people kept a distance from lepers. They had to wear a cowbell saying, be unclean, unclean. And Jesus went out and touched them. He cared that much because here is someone devoid of, of touch, of human touch, because of their disease. And yet, Jesus reaches out and, and heals them. Luke 7, verses 12 to, to 15. Jesus seeing a, a single mom. A single mom just uh, now uh, destitute and, and depressed and, and down because of her son just died. In that culture, it was, it was actually her, 
her uh, social security within that son. Uh, and, and yet Jesus cares, sees this woman, moved with the compassion. He reaches out and he raises his son from the dead. And Jesus challenges us to be like him. To, to be like the good Samaritan. You know the story of the good Samaritan? A guy was walking along the road and, and he got beat up, robbed, left half naked on the side of the road. Uh, people thought he was dead. And on comes along two religious people, people who are working in the temple and they should have known about the, the, the heart of God who cares, a compassionate, holy, wonderful God who merciful and cares. And, and they should have been the ones who had come to this guy's aid, but no, they stepped on the other side of the road and pretended like they didn't see it. They noticed because they stepped on the other side of the road. And then Jesus tells a story, on comes this Samaritan, ooh, kind of the dreg of society, one who was looked down upon and, 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 and felt like they could do nothing at all in life. They were worthless people, these Samaritans. And yet the Samaritan is one who picks up this, this one who's beaten and, and mends his wounds and takes him and provides for him. And, and Jesus said, be like that. That's what it means to love your neighbor, to care about hurting people and to do something about it. We, we Christ followers are called Christians. The word literally means little Christ, that we should be and act like Christ. And we have to be the ones out there leading the way, or at least living lives that bring good and help in our world. Remember 1 Timothy 6.18? Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. To be rich, to build a treasure, it's to build a treasure trove of good deeds that fulfill God's purposes of, of sharing about Jesus and, and encouraging believers to thrive as followers of him and to help those who are struggling. Jesus says, in Matthew 6, verses 20, 19 to 20, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, we are to have this drive uh, with foresight to think about the impact and influence that we can make uh, for God's purposes, not to amass this earthly treasure for, uh, of selfish ambition or for selfish ambition, but to be involved with heavenly treasure of God's purposes. That's the reason and the purpose we were born. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not to amass wealth or, or build a, a fortress of material possessions, but to bring God glory in all that we do, all of our treasure, our time, our talent, and our money, all to bring him glory. And we've been learning over these past few weeks how to deal with our treasure, how to keep Christ central, and then what are the practices of a, of a life centered on Christ, Christ-centered finances, and, and we've been learning how to handle them, to be under the management of Jesus, placing him central, fully embracing him and his purpose and his way of life. Uh, we've learned that we need to give. We need to give because giving, as we saw, keeps us from being greedy and selfish. It's so funny. You know, I just, last week, I talked about greediness and selfishness. It's hilarious. So we had a bunch of chocolate chip cookies, and people came running down the aisle, pushing people aside. I've got to get those chocolate chip cookies. I've got to get it for me. <laughs> Don't do that this week. It makes it look like you didn't really listen at all. And it wasn't just young people. Some older people, hey, get out of my way. I've got to get a chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> There's plenty. 
We all just need to share. <laughs> but uh, um, we've been getting practical, talking about tithing. We'll talk a little more about that later. Talk, giving to the church, the storehouse, talking about faith promise. In this week's passage uh, and story, Jesus uses some twists and some interesting turns in things to teach the importance of being shrewd. Yes, I said shrewd, meaning, but more than just the English meaning of that. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But let's look at yet another teaching of Jesus on money in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. But before we do that, why don't you all stand? I, I do know that uh, <laughs> this is an interesting subject to teach about. And, um, and uh, God has something for you in this. And I know sometimes you think, ah, oh, I'm too young, I don't have any money. Or, yeah, I'm, I'm too old, <laughs> I don't have any money. Or, uh, I'm too much strapped, I, I don't want to hear anything about this. God has something for you in this today. Really, He does. And there's something He wants you to get out of what's going to be said this morning. And so let's ask Him to teach us. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to cut through anything, even the callousness of our own heart. And and Lord, we want to be pierced by your spirit today. Help us to, to get what you want us to get out of this time together this morning. Challenge us in our giving. Challenge us. We're perfect, wonderful tithers, and we give even more, but yet, Lord, challenge us even in that. Help us, Lord. Help us to gain from your spirit this morning, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat. Hopefully you still have your outline out somewhere, and you've in that, if you don't, I've already written on it. I'll, there's some blanks to fill in. The answers will be up on the screen. And we'll launch into this together. We're going to look at three challenges to being shrewd with our treasure. The first is to be a shrewd manager. Well, let's look at this story that Jesus uh, talks about. He's, he's giving this uh, uh, story, a parable uh, of this. He starts out in, in John, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples. Now, he's talking to his disciples, not just the, the apostles that were there, the, the 12, but also there was many of others around him, men and women who were followers of Jesus. They really wanted to learn from him. And here he's about to tell something very, very important in following Christ. This uh, idea, this uh, character trait is, is really important. And Jesus starts with a story. He says, there was a rich man whose manager, now the word manager, some of your Bibles say steward, uh, that was somebody that in the ancient day, you had your estate, and then you hired a steward, a manager, someone to manage your affairs. What they said was law. If they signed something, it was as if you signed something. So you had to have incredible trust for this manager. I mean, they could just rip you off blind. And many did, like this one. <laughs> But here's his manager. The rich, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So the rich man called this manager in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do? Now, if you notice, the manager doesn't say, No way, that's not true. Where's the proof? He obviously had proof, <laughs> and, 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 it, and he was wrong. Well, let's see what happens. The manager said to him, what shall I do now? My master is going to take away my job, and, and I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do 
so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of the master's debtors. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil. Man, that is a lot of pasta. 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager said, take your bill, sit down, and quickly make it 400. Wow, that's kind of, wow. Okay, verse 7. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Now, um, there are a lot of theories of what could be going on here. We're not told exactly, but one idea is that a, a steward, a manager, had the uh, uh, ability to have a commission. So he a lot of times could say, okay, you know, I'm going to charge you this much more and say that instead of you owing this much, you owe this much, this much more, and take his commission. So he could be erasing his commission here. That could be one thing. That's probably thinking more highly of the him <laughs> than we ought to. But, but another theory is that in the Jewish law, if you look back in, in uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it talks about how you're not supposed to charge interest to a fellow Jew. So either these could be non-Jews that they had uh, done business with, or these are Jews that the steward had decided, I'm going to charge them interest anyway. And, and either way, whatever happened, we're not exactly sure, but, but this, uh, the steward does this. And as you're thinking about this, right before verse 8, you're going, okay, it's about time the manager, the, the rich man is going to just gonna bring a hammer down on this manager. Look at how he's not only treated him dishonestly in the past, now he's going back and taking away half his money. And you'd think that, that that's what would, you know, the manager's going to lay into him. But yet, verse 8, look at this. Okay. There it is. <laughs> uh, the manager says to him, the manager commended the dishonest man. Commended? What? the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly okay so th that's the end of the story jesus now goes into commentary for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than other people of light and you think wow what what is happening here now the manager is not commended for his dishonest practice that's really clear nor is he commended for the actions of cutting the debt What's interesting in all of this is that the rich man was bound by what the, the, the manager did, so he couldn't do anything about it. Once it was written in, it was done, because and, 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 he was fault because he allowed it. But what the manager is commended for, and what we as stewards of the treasure God has given us should learn, is this whole idea to be shrewd. Yes, the word means astute, being discerning, creative, clever. But as the word in Greek is defined, shrewd means to act with foresight, to be concerned with the impact and influence the actions of today will have on tomorrow. Now, this is not the only place Jesus taught about being shrewd. Matthew 7, write down Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. He's talking about the man who built his house, one on rock, one on sand. Which one do you think is most shrewd? On the rock. Yeah, rock there, thank you. Another time was Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. There were some young maidens who had prepared. They brought oil and lamp for this, uh, this wedding feast, and, and they had been prepared for that. And Jesus commends them on their shrewdness of being ready for what's going to happen in the future. This shrewd manager acted decisively in the present to position himself for the future. That's what Jesus was getting at that he was looking to the future in mind, not all the dishonesty he had. And that's what's interesting Jesus does. He even takes lousy examples and pulls something meaningful out of that and says, here's the truth. He's not 
condoning the behavior of the, sh- of the, of the, of the, of the steward. Uh, he still was dishonest. He still didn't treat rightly by his master. But what he did do that was an admirable quality that we can look at and say, hey, this is what we should do as disciples of Christ, is to be shrewd. To think about what, we're, what we've got today and how it will impact how we, what we do with that and how it will impact the future. And how we make sure of that is to make sure we are centered on the Lord's will and way. See, this manager was not serving his master, but he was serving himself. How much more we should be with Christ the center? And so that's the question, is he? Is Christ in that center spot of life? See, this unrighteous steward had a self-focus. And we are called to have a Christ focus, to have our heart tendered towards Christ. The problem is we're not born that way. (laughs) We are born with a sinful heart. Now, we can still do good with a sinful heart, but that sinful heart will always be pulling us uh, towards putting self in there, putting other things in there, and not Christ. That's the sin nature we've been talking about that's full of greed and selfishness. And we're locked into that, trapped in. And there's nothing we can do to change our heart. We can change the outward things, and that's always good to develop good habits. And being kind and generous, those are good habits. But the heart needs to be changed by something miraculous. And that's where Christ comes in. See, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all uh, sinned and have a sinful heart. And there's nothing we can do to repair it. That's why we need a Savior. And so Jesus comes and he says, I will transform your heart. I will uh, totally reborn you if you come and believe in me. And belief has always been understanding that we're sinful, that that we need a Savior, that Jesus is committing our life to live it his way. And when we make that commitment, that, that, that stand and say, this is what I believe, our heart begins to change. Christ sits in the center and then from the inside out, we are changed. We are transformed. We are reborn and grow in that new faith. And that loving heart changes us. And so to stay changed, we need to keep Christ in that center place as our highest affection. It's like that that, 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 uh, player who has a a deep respect and love for his coach, wants to not only just play well, but do excellent best and all that much more. It's that... that, uh, uh, employee who loves the, their company so much that they're willing to go that extra mile to make customers happy or whatever. It's that, it's that, it's that uh, uh, love you have for a mate or a friend that you not only just want to do something nice for them, you want to kind of surprise them with kindness. It's that same way with God, but even more. See, a shrewd manager anticipates and takes initiative to act. It's kind of like, uh, like Zach Hunter, a 14-year-old who had a curiosity about anti-slavery around the world. And as he began to research this, he found out that there are more slaves today than at any point in American history. And that is absolutely true. There are more slaves today than any point in American history. And so Zach, seeing this, compelled, wanted to be a good, shrewd person in his young age even, started raising money through a, a movement he called Loose Change to Loosen Chains. He raised thousands of dollars uh, to, give organiza- to give to organizations that help stop human trafficking uh, all around the world. You see, this shrewdness, it's, it's letting the heart of our Lord fill our hearts so that we're moved to action. What is your heart compelled to do? 
with the life God has given you, with the treasure he has given you. Because God has given you treasure. He's given each one of us 24 hours in one day. We all have a say in that, though. He's been given each of us talents. Some of you have yet to discover your talents, but he's given you talents. And he's given you money. Some a lot, some little. And he said, be a good steward of that. Be shrewd with that. Think about using it for his glory. And, and get it in the practice of that. That's why 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust, like all of us, must prove faithful. Be faithful, be shrewd with God's resources, knowing that what you do today will have an impact and an influence for God if we put Jesus central and follow his teachings. This dishonest manager knew how to take decisive action. How much more should we? So let's learn some of how to be shrewd with our treasure. So the next challenge to being shrewd with the treasure is to be shrewd in striving for heavenly treasure. Verse 9 through 12 of Luke 16. I tell you, Jesus now commenting on how to be shrewd. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. That sounds, wait a minute, that's not the, let me read on. To gain friends so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal, dwell, into eternal dwellings. Now, we'll, you'll catch what that means in a moment. Whoever can be trusted with very little will also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you your own? Two ways to be shrewd in striving for heavenly treasure. The first is to invest in pointing people to Jesus. We are to use our wealth to help people find Jesus. Now, when it says worldly wealth, it's also translated in some uh, Bibles as uh, un unfaithful or unrighteous mammon. It's talking about what we earn in this world, uh, the worldly wealth that we have here. B because uh, that worldly wealth has, a, um, has an enormous power on it. It's enormously powerful. Uh, treasure is not neutral. And it's to be under Jesus' authority or it will become a rival idol and an influence for evil. Even good-meaning Christians have stopped using their treasure for outreach and they have been led astray or neutralized in this idea of want or desire for and care for self only, to be safe, to meet needs, more like wants. And now all the treasure is just going to self. But I want to thank you uh, as uh, Givers to Cypress Church for your faithfulness in giving to this church. Uh, one of our chief aims is to see people come to know Jesus. And over my uh, nine years as pastor here, um, through our ministries here and overseas, we've seen thousands come to Jesus through VBS here, Hume Lake, Amazing Journeys, Student Ministries, uh, helps ministries here on Sunday mornings, memorial services. I think I might have told you last couple weeks ago or last week did a memorial service and 10 people indicated they either made a decision for Christ or they were searching for that. And also uh, all over the world. In India, I know I've been witness to seeing hundreds of people come to Christ in a day. Uh, also in Ecuador and Japan and Sri Lanka and, and in the Philippines. Your giving 
to the general fund and to faith promise is being used by God to store up heavenly treasure. Acquiring friends we will see in heaven. So continue to invest in pointing people to Jesus. Next, we are to be faithful, trustworthy, dependable, to use what God has allowed us to have for His glory, for His purposes. Yeah, sure, to live on for ourselves, but to live within our means and even sacrifice so we can accomplish God's purposes. It's not if we have it available. <laughs> crazy, busy, crazy time. <laughs> it's, it's all about God. It's all God's, and, and, and it's all about His will and purposes, and, his, and, and we are to lay that as a top priority in life. Our giving should be part of our plan. And I believe it should be the first part of the plan. There's a principle in giving called first fruits. It comes from uh, a couple places, but one place is Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. It says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats with brims of, of new wine. I, I love what happened in the first service. One of our older senior members came up to me after the service and said, Mike, I want to tell you how much fun giving is. She goes, I take my Social Security check, and I, I said, the first check I write out is my tithe check to the church. And you know what? And then I write out some more checks that I know that the place to give, and then I live off the rest. And whatever God gives me, that's what I live. And you know what? I've never gone hungry. I've never missed a bill. I love that. So make a plan. Give God the first. It, it, in ancient times, that was what you did. When you, when you gave your, your, your uh, uh, tithe of grain, you didn't give God the weekly ones. You gave him the best. We should give him the, and the first ones. Be faithful and trustworthy that. It can't be business as usual. It's got to involve some risk uh, and get a little bit radical. A lot of times we want to just check off the box of our finances. I don't want to worry about it anymore. It's causing too much internal turmoil because I'm struggling with, with the want and selfishness and trying to put God in the center of all that. And, and yet God wants us to work it through. Create that plan with him still in that central place and then let everything flow as God intended it to. Be wise. Maybe it's going without. Maybe downsizing a little bit. Maybe being really wise with your purchases. They don't slap you with this huge debt. And get help. That's why we offer to Peace University. We as a church are seeking our best to point people to Jesus and to bring him glory and be faithful with our resources. And that's why we're stepping out in faith, uh, being able to launch this Los Alamitos branch. And it's not an easy venture. It's risky. We have to have lots of workers here so we can send some off to go there. We have to have good resources here, you know, like sound equipment here, which is dying half of it, and then <laughs> send it over there. And so we've asked uh, uh, Nathan, our worship leader, to put together a list of, of just the needs that we have. And uh, um, it's like fine print. <laughs> There's a lot of needs, you know, down to microphones and, and projection units and things like that so that we can have a service over there. And it's a lot of money. And we've budgeted for some of that, but it's going to take prayer, your prayer, and your gifts to be able to accomplish it. If you want to look at this, you can look at this. It's down there and see what needs to go on in there to be praying about that. But... Uh, we know it's not safe. We know it's not easy, but we know clearly it's God's call. And it's going to take more people stepping up and more people giving their time and their talent and their money. Matter of fact, we need people to run sound uh, there and, and run tech and media. If you're interested, find Nathan. But uh, So let's be shrewd. Shrewd with, what, with that heavenly treasure of, uh, of people 
being saved, of people growing in their faith and people being helped. And let's see the amazing things that God will do. My hope is that you will join us and join me in, in, in that tune. And one more challenge to being shrewd with treasure. It is to be shrewd in dethroning earthly treasure. Look at the last verse. Verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. He either hate one or love the other. He will be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, treasure is, is powerful. So powerful that it can be made that rival deity, that consuming idol. It feeds off the, and, and is strengthened by that dark parts of our sin nature of want and of selfishness. So much it becomes king and the ultimate ruler in life, forcing us to obey its values, like on where we live and what occupation we go into and how to make purchases. And, I, mean, I mean, think about it. How much have we let money reign in our lives? I've talked to several people who have made such unwise decisions because it got them more money or more prestige or more stuff. And it breaks my heart. You know, there's been, been these talented young people that have wanted to go into ministry and, and uh, they got bit by that bug. They let that rival idol raise in their life and they just started making money. And they missed out on the call of God. First Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That word love of money means an obsession to obtain and keep money, to make it our ultimate affection. Yet the shrewd follower of Jesus recognizes that to dethrone money and earthly treasures to set our ultimate affection on Jesus. Write this verse down. I know you've written down each week. Matthew 6, 33. Some of you have got it memorized. Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is Jesus on the throne. Jesus in that central place of life. When we do that, everything falls into its place. Now, as Jesus, as king, we're to take steps and use his style of management and stewardship for the treasure he has given to us. When we do that, the power of money is diffused. And we now can use money as a tool for God's purposes. So be shrewd. As 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, have a plan. Make a plan. Make a budget. Get some help. Luke 6, 38 it's really clear. The word, the very first word in that verse says give. And the word is written in the command form. And it says, not a suggestion. It says you've got to give. So figure out in your plan how you're going to give. And Malachi 3, 8 to 11 tells us how. It says tithe 10% of your income. And give it to the storehouse. The church. If you're not yet ready to give 10th, then build up to that and then go beyond it. <laughs> Why limit God to a tenth? Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. We just talked about it. That pr principle of first fruits. Give him the first. In 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18, be rich in good works and be generous. Be a shrewd servant with Christ at the center and manage what God has given you. Manage it well. Manage it his way. And the power of money will be dethroned 
and you will thrive. See, be shrewd. Be shrewd like Tom Shoes and help people. Be shrewd like Flurries and invest in ministries. And be shrewd like York Peppermint Patties. <laughs> Did you guys know the story of York Peppermint Patties? I'm going to tell you. In the 1920s, Henry Kessler, the founder of the New York Cone Company, they made ice cream cones in Pennsylvania, in York, Pennsylvania, uh, needed to boost his ice cream business. Uh, so he, being shrewd, uh, created, ventured out, and took some risks and created the York Peppermint Patty. Now, it was doing okay. It only was in a few states around Pennsylvania and, and that, and doesn't do it so well. But the company, Peter Paul, saw, ooh, there's some more money to be made in this little product right here. So they acquired the New York Cone, Cone Company, and, uh, and Peter Paul began to make even more money with it. It went, it went you know, almost to the whole United States, Peter Paul brought to the York. Well, um, another company noticed how much that they were making with this York peppermint patty, and, and that c- company was Cadbury Schweppes. And they said, ooh, we can make even more money with it. So they got Peter Paul... And then uh, another big giant of a chocolate company, it, which is exactly Hershey's saw Cadbury Swifts, and they gobbled them up. Not so sure how they did that, but they did, did that. And they have now taken the York peppermint patty, and they've made it into York. These aren't M&Ms. These are York pieces. <laughs> these are something else. And you can afterwards try them, but don't be greedy. There's plenty. Just don't take a whole... <laughs> And they also took the York peppermint patty, went international with it. And with that, they also made all kinds of different sizes. And you see many stores today, some shaped like pumpkins, some shaped like snowflakes at Christmas. And then they have the peppermint batty, which is shaped like a bat. So <laughs> the idea, I- or the, the, the thing I want you to get out of this, is that you know, just like how these companies decided to, to be shrewd with the peppermint patty and make the most out of it, so we are to be, God's given us way more than a peppermint patty. He's given us time and talent and resources and money, and he wants them to use them for his glory constantly, not for self. Yeah, to take care of the, the minimal things that we need to do to take care of ourselves, but sometimes we take way better care of ourselves than anything else. So be a good, shrewd manager with foresight for accomplishing God's purposes. Be shrewd in striving after heavenly treasure. Be shrewd in dethroning earthly treasure. And God will do amazing things. And that joy and excitement of giving will be there, not shame or frustration. Let's pray. Would you bow your head with me? Father, thank you for the, <laughs> the wonder of your word and just the, the joy that we can have as we learn from it, Father. Learn to be how you want us to be and learn to keep you central in our life. And, and Father, I pray that uh, as we've been talking about a sensitive area in our life, that Lord, we'd be open and we'd be willing to listen to you and, and uh, um, seek to follow you in, in this area of our life, mostly to put you central and listen to how you want to shape us from the inside out. So thank you, Father. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.